Hello, listeners. This is Money Chris from Too Many Captains. The Derek Duvall Show is proud to offer family-friendly quality shows. However, for this episode, some mild language may be used, such as fudge or heck, maybe even a few shazbots. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. It's the Derek Duvall Show. A show about the best of humanity with guests from all professions and walks of life. Pop culture, interesting news, and hot takes. Now, here's the number one host in your hearts, Derek Duvall. Welcome to episode five of your favorite new show, my show, The Derek Duvall Show. Man, I tell you, it has been an interesting two weeks since we last heard from each other, Planet Earth, and I promise you... This will be an hour of your life well spent. So you loved episode four featuring punk rock legend Chad Malone, right? Well, as promised, we will have the conclusion of that interview as he dives deep into his music psyche and explains his methods, the history of his bands, and some really exciting future projects. We got some really great feedback with part one, and with some calling it their most favorite episode yet. We will also have a look at my current favorite things, and of course, a Thanksgiving-themed thought on life Over the last few months, your host has been showered with feedback, and I can tell you I read every tweet, every message, and every email. The warmth you have shown me by allowing my program to be a part of your day, be it your morning coffee, your commute to work, or just something you enjoy on your lunch break, either time or place you listen to me, it is my duty to make sure you enjoy that currency you have spent, the currency of time, which is valuable and should never be wasted. So, as I say time and time again, let's get right into the good stuff. Here we go. And now, Derek Duvall's Thoughts on Life. On this episode of Derek Duvall's Thoughts on Life, we explore the Thanksgiving holiday in the COVID world. Now, this is destined to be a rather unpopular opinion as COVID-19 has already put our lives on temporary or sadly an even indefinite hold. With a report that over a million travelers flew on Friday the 20th of November against the strict orders of the CDC, this virus is spreading at a rate that is almost unstoppable. It seems as though the country is split down the line. Those who accept the virus is real, and those who are standing in defiance of science. Those who choose that side are more likely to carry the virus. With over 58.5 million cases worldwide, and well over a million deaths, flying across the country is deemed ill-advised. And while we live in a country where people are allowed to travel unmolested by government officials, it is a wonder when the government will step in and finally try to get a hold of this crisis, be it the current administration or President-elect Biden's. All in all, we all need to do better, especially around the holidays. Derek Duvall's Favorite Things. For this round of My Favorite Things, we will start with what am I watching? Well, not so much me, but what Mrs. Duvall insists I watch with her. <laughs> That's right, Netflix's hit show The Crown, which is now in its amazing fourth season. Not gonna lie, it amazes me just how much people revere the royal family. Seriously, they just can't get enough. Maybe it is the fact that the Queen Elizabeth II is one of the most popular monarchs of all time, or at least in recorded time. The cast is stellar, with the standout this season being the chameleon Gillian Anderson, who slides right into the snakeskin of Margaret Thatcher. Boo! I read on Facebook that people are now doing the imitation of the voice for fun, and I'm pretty sure she has already secured an Emmy nod. But yeah, The Crown. It's a great show. If you haven't been living under a rock, go check it out on Netflix. Now, This is a good one. What have I been listening to? Well, last Friday, the just-released album Neil Diamond with the London Symphony Orchestra 
was released on iTunes and I'm sure other music sites as well. And man, I could not wait to hit the double tap on my phone fast enough to buy it. Damn, it pays off. Every single track is solid, with the standouts being I Am, I Said, and of course, Hello Again. If you love The Diamond, then you will love this album. If this is the end of his career, it's one hell of a love letter and a true proper send-off. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back after a message from our sponsors and our podcast promo highlights. Stay tuned for Chad Malone, Part 2. The Plum Forest Podcast. The Plum Forest Podcast is a great place to listen to weird, off-the-wall stories that are based off of classical Chinese short stories. But don't worry, they're in English. Now these stories get super weird and take turns quicker than you can say the name of the show. Be sure to check us out on literally any app that hosts podcasts or even at our website at www.plumforestpodcast.com. And get ready for Season 2. It's coming soon. Take care and stay safe, everyone. This episode is presented by Wild CBD. Wild produces the best-tasting edibles on the market using real fruit and all-natural flavoring. With flavors inspired by the Pacific Northwest, high-quality ingredients, real fruit, and consistent dosing, Wild has become one of the leading cannabis edible producers in the country. Wild's new CBD line currently offers real fruit-infused gummies in blackberry, huckleberry, lemon, and raspberry, and CBD-infused sparkling water in raspberry, lemon, blackberry, and blood orange. Each gummy is dosed with 25 milligrams of CBD and can be purchased in a bottle of 10 or 20. Wild CBD is offering our listeners 30% off their next purchase from wildcbd.com. That's W-Y-L-D-C-B-D.com by using the code POD, that's P-O-D, for 30% off your next purchase. Wild CBD products are intended only for use by individuals aged 18 and older. Wild CBD products should only be consumed as directed on the label and should not be used if you are pregnant or breastfeeding. All Wild CBD products are made with ingredients containing 0% THC. Consult with a health professional prior to using Wild CBD in combination with any medications or other dietary supplements. Hey folks, Rob here from Fat, Drunk, and Stupid. And what is that, you ask? Well, aside from three words that describe my life, it's a podcast. We talk about food, fun, fellowship, movies, books, video games, pop culture, and much more. Also, some very interesting guests and some awesome stories. And of course, some cold beers along the way too. So look us up on Twitter at FDS Podcast 7 and look for Fat, Drunk, and Stupid wherever you find your favorite podcast. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Derek Duvall Show. Now... As promised, here is part two of our interview with punk rock legend, Mr. Chad Malone. How did the shame come to be, and how many original members are left from the original incarnation? Me, simply put. <laughs> well, there was only three of us to begin with. Basically, Josh 
the bass player and I. We're old sports dudes and we're old punk rockers. And he was actually in the band I was singing for that was originally called Mad Arab because we liked Necronomicon and I was 16 years old and you liked that kind of H.P. Lovecraft shit when you were a kid. And he was our bass player. And then, you know, we all went off and he, he ended up with a, in a band with uh, Jeff Klein called Crimes Against Humanity. Jeff was NOTA. And, uh, you know, and, you know, life moves on and he kind of quit playing music and I was off doing my own thing. You know, and for a while in the early 90s, I was in a band called Concept of Nonsense, which was definitely my most my first real serious band and our drummer was kevin gissendanner and basically what would happen is you know about 10 12 years ago i would always see josh around you know we we weren't close anymore but you know whenever i'd see him we got on you know he's fine he's a good man and we would always talk about punk rock and how you know we love it but we also love sports and we love oi but we don't like oi history in tulsa because it was all a bunch of racist bastards well not all but that's what tulsa was known for was a a band i won't even mention but they're a bunch of nazis and horrible just bigot racist thugs so and but we liked the music and we just didn't like what that scene was associated with so we wanted we were like you know we should start an oi band that's just about football and being old and being drunk and having a good time and so we decided you know and i've always been in political bands but i was like "Ah, i don't need to be i can leave my serious subjects in my other bands this band will just be about having fun, drinking beer, watching football, you know. And, uh, and of course, we love the old Tulsa Roughnecks from the 1980s. And so that was kind of a unifying thing. And when we decided to really take it serious and maybe actually started doing the band, and I called, came up with the name The Shame, I, Kevin had contacted me just looking to jam sometime. And I was like, well, you know what? We're starting this project. You want to just play some oi music? It's easy. It's just rock and roll, basically. And that's kind of how it came together, and and I just started writing a bunch of songs for fun, and kind of not taking my lyrics so serious, and like I would with uh, Brother Inferior in times like that, and just had a good time, and and we and that kind of went on for a while, and we did a few uh, records together, and it was kind of nice because for Kevin and Josh, neither of them had released anything other than demo tapes, and so they actually, you know, I mean, while we were you know not successful or anything, I mean, we were just having a good time, but we did get a CD out. We got a couple of records out. So, you know, I mean, and and Josh was first. Josh was like, you know, his uh, kid had just moved out and him and the wife wanted to kind of do more. And he was like, he's like, I got to do the punk rock one more time. I've had a great time. I got to do records and, and festivals. I think I'm done. And I was like, I respect that. You know, it wasn't as much a part of his life as it's been for mine. And, uh, and Kevin ended up being kind of the same. He decided to move on a little bit later, and I had gradually replaced, you know, them with, like, Dalton, who is our guitar player for, uh, he's been with us for several years now. He's also a very good punk rock drummer, and so I needed a drummer, and I was like, well, you want to do it? And yeah, he was, absolutely. And then when Josh was quitting, I knew right away there was only one person that I wanted to play, and that was Terry Waska. And, uh, and so now, and we've added a second guitar player, which first was Dave Ketter, and he moved on, and we picked up uh, John Ide. And so the current lineup is just me originally and those three dudes. But it's kind of like when Kevin and Josh played, we were guys that could play our instruments but just having a good time. But as they left, I, I wanted to replace them with – I guess the difference that I always explained it was Josh can play bass, and he can play bass pretty well, but Terry's a bass player. If, if that makes sense to you. It is, yeah. You know, and Kevin Kevin can play drums, and he's good, and, and he's got a wheelhouse, and he sticks in, but Dalton's got the youthful energy, I guess is probably a good way to put it. And so I, I know I am the least qualified in the band on the instrument I play, because I play guitar and sing. John is an excellent guitar player. I wanted, I was writing leads for the band, but I suck at them. 
And uh, whenever we'd play live, you could tell I was struggling with them. I've always played rhythm guitar. I only want to play rhythm guitar. And so I was like, I, got, I need a guy that can play leads and that has a really good persona live. And you know how it is. I mean, we've seen John at the soccer games leading chants and real boisterous and loud. I've, I've known John for, gosh, six, seven years now. He's a, he's a great, great, great man. He's a great man, and and I t- and what I told him was, and he didn't listen to Oi or that much punk rock to begin with. I mean, some bands, sure. I was like, dude, as long as you play what we're playing and you bring your soccer hooligan sideline presence to our live shows, that's what I want. Because I thought we could be a really good band, but I thought our live shows could be a lot better. And so when John joined, I think, and, and having Dalton behind the kit and Terry there, the energy of the band in general, just live, just jumped, you know, massively. First of all, I, I felt free that I didn't have to worry about leads anymore, and I can just trust that they're going to be played well every show, and it, I didn't have to bother with it. I just write the songs, play the rhythms, sing, and I got guys that are solid. And, like, right now, I'm grateful that, and it's true both in Larkin and The Shame, that I'm play- we can not practice for six months and get together, and it's as solid as it was six months ago. We're, we're going to jump to Larkin here in a minute, but I have to ask you a question. How protective of you are, are you of your um, your lyrics and your rhythms and stuff like that? Like You hear, I'm assuming you have like a, a canvas in your head, and you and obviously you paint on that canvas. How much how much do you let other people influence that, that those paintbrush strokes? It depends. I would say that that has changed over the years. My youthful arrogance when I was much younger would give almost no leeway. I, and I was an ass about it. I, I regret not, I was playing with really talented musicians in the early Brother Inferior days, and I regret, well, I think we, we had great songs. It was a good working relationship with me and Ryan together. I mean, we, I would write some bits and he would change them because his style of guitar playing was different than mine, but a, tons better. And, uh, and so that really worked. And as I've grown, I, I still write most everything, but I feel like I've learned what was probably 90-10%, like 90, this is mine, you guys get a little bit of say, but that's about it, would be more 70-30, 60-40. Like, I'll bring it in, and it's mostly done, but I want to see what everybody's going to do with it. And I'll offer suggestions, but... They too can say, I think it would work better and we'll always try it. And then we'll kind of, we'll come to a consensus on the, the final song. I mean, as far as lyrics go, they just kind of let me go with it. Unless it's, and, and if I feel like I might be pushing a boundary, like a little too much of something, I'll definitely ask everyone's opinion. Because if, if somebody isn't happy with something, then we don't do it. You know, while it's mostly like, I'll write the songs, yes. Sometimes I think a song's really good and it sounds good in my head and then when we try to play it, it's not working. And years ago, I would, I would not accept it. Now I can just see the look on everybody's face and I'm honest about it going, you know, we had different versions of different songs and I just, I felt like it wasn't working, but I wasn't sure. And when I look at everybody's face and they kind of go, eh, it's okay, you, you know it's not good. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and then what I'll generally tell them is like, all right, I like a little bit to this. I'm going to take it home and scrap it, and then I'll try to rework the parts that I think worked, and we'll try again. So, yeah, and lyrically, I generally will write something, and then I will email it out to everybody before we even try to play it, just to, just to, just to get a response, good or bad, where everybody's at with it, even if it's just a silly song about football. Do you have like a, do you have like a trash bin or a file drawer that says shit songs don't use? <laughs> 
Yeah, they're called records. <laughs> <laughs> All right, All right we're, um, we're going to switch gears here. Let's talk about Larkin, because I know that's, okay. a, that's a band very near and dear to your heart. Yeah, very much so, yeah. So tell us how it came about. I grew up, you know, there was a lot of, my, my father, you know, I was born in 1970, and around that time, folk music, well, folk rock, you know, soft rock, if you want to call it that. Bands like America, Simon and Garfunkel, you know, were all the rage, if you will, in the early 70s. And, uh, and I remember growing up hearing that kind of music a lot. And I think it had, um, like Harry Chapin especially, that's absolutely my hand down, hands down favorite songwriter, which I got from my father for sure. Um, and I remember, and I, short aside is, when I was younger, if you gave me like pot or alcohol when I was, you know, 15 to 19, I would have taken it. So I, and, and then I sobered up from 19, you know, moved out of part, a house, stayed sober till about 25. But in that, in that realm, which is weird, was when I found it, somebody, and I, I can't remember who it was, and I, I apologize to them if they remember, but somebody gave me a cassette of just some Irish drinking song. And I absolutely, it spoke, it just went bam, you know. And I, I know now who that was. It was a band called the Jolly Beggarman. It wasn't marked at the time. And I absolutely loved it. And I couldn't stop listening to it. And, and I wasn't drinking. It wasn't like an alcohol thing, you know. It was a melody thing and a, and a passion thing. And how acoustic music, you know. The only other band that I like was that a band like New Model Army came along in the mid-'90s, right, or 80s, pardon me. I remember hearing 51st State, and it was the first time I heard a band play acoustic that could be tough, you know, that wasn't Peacenick Cat Stevens, which is nothing wrong with that. I love that stuff, but, you know, but it was a whole, was made it okay for me to like acoustic music. And uh, and then I hear this, this shit, and I'm like, wow, that really speaks to me. And I started just pursuing it, you know, wherever I could find it, you know, and I, I had no idea bands like the Dubliners and the Clancy Brothers and the Wolf Tones and Battering Ram and all these things. I just got fascinated with it. And then, you know, of course, when I decided that I was no longer the self-destructive kid anymore and I'd like to have a beer, first thing I did was go to an Irish pub and get a Guinness, you know, and uh, it just seemed natural to me because I was already really in my head at this point. And then at that time, around that time, I started running into my old high school friend, Dave Murphy, who I mentioned earlier, who I would meet in Ireland nowadays. Um, we went to high school together and his family, his mom was born in Southwestern Ireland. He's dual citizen. And we just talk about Irish music. And we like, you know, we should, we should play this stuff. So we would just get drunk and go over to our friend Donnie's house and run through a butchered rendition of like whiskey in a jar or Roddy McCorley or something. And it just kind of, we kept adding musicians to our parties. Next thing you know, we've got 13 people in a train wreck of a band. We were horrible. <laughs> we weren't even a band. We were like, we were called Rappery, which I thought was a killer name. Um, which is an old Irish rebel so, long story. So basically, you were trying to be parla uh, Parliament Funkadelic. <laughs> we were we were trying not to <laughs> suck, but it didn't work. And because uh, anybody that wanted to play with us got to play. And so you know, we had banjo player uh, Matt, and uh, we even had an accordion for a while. And we, and we never had practice with everybody there, so our shows were complete train wrecks. We were a traveling party, but what happened was about five of us. We all just kind of, our drummer, Johnny Walker at the time, him and I were, you know, had become really close. And me, him, and Murphy. And Murphy was moving off to New York because uh, we both sang. We were the two singers. But we, we did mostly traditional, but I wrote a few of our own songs. And Johnny was like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is a train wreck. There's too many people. It's, and I was like, well, how about we revisit it in six months with a more stripped-down version of the band and take it a little more serious? And that's exactly what we did. And we called it Larkin, which was named after James Larkin, you know, if you know your Irish history. And we, I started writing specifically for the band 
and we decided to make it more original and less I mean, when I write for Larkin, my goal is, I don't know if I succeed or not, but my goal is for you to go to a show and hear all the songs we play and not know which ones are traditional and which ones aren't. Mm. You know what I mean? I want the songs that I write to fit right in there. And so that was the goal, and that's always been the goal. And, you know, not quite the Pogues, but a little more beefed up than uh, the Dubliners. But And we do do a lot of Dubliners and Battering Ram songs and, and whatnot. But I still write. I, it's probably like 70-30. I write about 70% of the, the tunes. And, and we've changed a lot of members over the years because we've been doing it since uh, about 1997, I guess. I have uh, some of the melodies. I mean, because Irish melodies are, I mean, you know them when you hear them. Yeah. And a lot of them are very similar. And they write in a lot of the same keys. And because we have a, a tin whistle player, David, who's magnificent, you know, tin whistle is pretty much every, every whistle is a different key. And we just stick to the main ones, like, you know, C, D, and G when I write. Even if I try to write in a different key, everyone's just like, put it in the major key. It'll sound better on the whistle. And so we just, I don't even bother. It's, I'm not trying to impress anybody with the music. I just want catchy songs you can sing along to, you know what I mean, with, with good melodies and whatnot. So, yeah, it's all pretty basic when it comes to that. But Karen, Karen will write some good fiddle songs, and she brings, her and Dave bring just some amazing melodies to what we do and whatnot. But there's this point being is I've inadvertently used similar melodies to folk songs and I not even realized it they're just in your head because so you know it's hard to write something new with folk music right <laughs> I remember there was a there was a very famous musician I think I want to say it was it may have been Simon maybe Paul Simon he says that it's really hard to write new songs because all the melodies have been invented yeah I remember so just, I remember that phrase very well it's true um I, I believe it's true I mean yes you can do more different dynamics and different chord structures but then you're getting into you know, freeform jazz, and uh, and it doesn't make sense in a like folk melody style. Because I mean, I believe I know a little bit about Irish folk music and whatnot, and from what I've been able to discern, uh, especially like the Clancy Brothers talked about it when they came over in the '50s, is they uh, a lot of the songs they knew they knew a cappella, so they people weren't trying to come up with a different key. They were just take a melody and sing a story, you know. And the folk music revival was happening at the time in the late '50s. And so they took the acoustic guitar and basically turned all the songs that they knew into like the modern folk songs. And it totally worked because that was what was going on in Greenwich Village at the time in New York City. And that's where they all lived, trying to be actors. And that didn't work out, but musicians totally took off for them. And, uh, and so the fact that I do write in a lot of same similar melodies, similar styles, similar keys, none of that bothers me in the slightest. You know, um, I'm not looking for originality. I'm just writing where my heart takes me. And if it's if it's a similar theme as 10 other songs I've written, then who gives a shit? Like it or don't. Yeah. My thing about it is, is like, there's been like over the years, so many different like plagiarism, like for Pink Floyd, um, the song Echoes, which is, if you if you like Pink Floyd, it's one of the, probably one of the most famous songs they ever wrote. Which you I'm do- not familiar with it. It's a, it's a 28 minute piece. Uh, anyway, the, the key signature to it, which is bum, 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 like that, bum, 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 like that, is, was plagiarized by Andrew, uh, Lloyd Webber for Phantom of the Opera. Oh, it's okay. I mean it's note for note, same key, same sure. signature, and Roger Waters lost his mind. He was like, "What the fuck?" And I, I remember, I, I think if I could do some research, it'd probably be like there was a court battle and stuff like that. But yeah, it's it's. I mean, if you listen to it, it's absolutely identical. And Andrew Lloyd Webber's like, "Oh, I didn't know Echoes exist." I'm like, Fusty! "Fuck you!" No, you did. I don't intentionally. You know, although I will take some, I mean, it, luckily in Irish folk music, 
most of these melodies are so old they're public domain. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? You can just like Roddy McCorley melody is uh, Sean South from Gary Owen. It, I mean, it, it's it's been used a million times, and it will be used a million more, and nobody cares. It's a good song. Just enjoy it and tell a new story using the old melody because that's the traditional folk music anyway. Well, it's like what's like with rappers, like hip-hop these days. They sample old 70s songs. Like we were just talking about When the Levee Breaks. I've heard that sampled in several yeah, yeah, um, yeah. hip-hop songs. Well, hell, you take the NWA, you know, the first real breakthrough straight out of Compton, you know, that drum beat had had already been sampled by bunches of people. You know, I yes. mean, that, the beginning of it. And uh, not to get all gangster rap, I'm slightly familiar with some of it. But I, I know that was a thing. And, uh, hey, man, I mean, I'm all for people using, if anybody thinks anything I've written is worthy and wants to use part of it, you know, just throw my name out there, dude. You know, at least give me a little bit of credit. But beyond that, it's pretty flattering in itself. Granted, these songs I'm doing aren't paying my bills, so it's different, you know, if if I was trying to use music as a vehicle to survive, then yes, I mean, then you try to get the money out of all that shit. I will tag uh, Snoop Dogg and Eminem on Twitter to make sure that your name gets out there. So Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so I we're going to digress a little bit. We're talking about okay. you've you've been with other bands and you've been on the Tulsa music music scene for years. Have you ever um, thought about like collaborations, like a supergroup, like you know Temple of the Dog or Mad Season? Like that? You have anything like that ever come up? Yes, uh, but supergroup's such a strong term. When uh, I no matter what group I'm in, I'm always the least talented. But I love to do it. Actually, it's funny because uh, I was actually forming a band at one point with uh, Jesse Jesse Acock and Dustin Pitsley. And there too, I don't know if you know them. I know Jesse. Yeah, Jesse's incredible. Jesse, Jesse's incredible. And oh well, no, what I'm sorry, what Jesse? Jesse and I talked about doing stuff. It was uh, another friend of mine, Jay, and uh, he's also an extremely talented musician. And Dustin, but we had talked about it, and it was funny because we were doing, we were trying to do an acoustic uh, sea shanty band, which sounded fun. But I just ended up not having time for it. Neither did Dustin, because you know he's a very popular blues singer around town, and uh, actually does a lot with Jesse Acock. And, uh, and Dustin, I, I always joke that he's my favorite hippie locally. I have talked to, uh, oddly enough, it's only in the it would be fun talking stage, but I've talked to Alan Doyle about he, when, when he, like doing something on one of his rap songs where I could play heavy guitar on it just to add some beef to it, you know. Uh, Alan Doyle is a local rapper and a great dude, also a big soccer fan. And I was like, dude... You know, it'd be great if, you know, we did a project where you're doing your rap thing and, you know, where you get some of those heavier, not like the new metal bands, sort of like when, you know, Run DMC was doing the thing with Aerosmith and all that. You know, you add the heavy guitar and like the King of Rock with Run DMC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having that guitar there added a, a whole new element to it that made it a lot heavier. And I thought doing a song with him would be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've talked to people like that, but, and we did that for like the, uh, for the the Sex Pistols tribute thing, which was basically myself, two of us from you know the Shame and Hell guy from uh, Terry from Asylum, and it had uh, Jay from American Waste. It was basically a punk rock history thing, and Mitch Gillian, who's been in a bunch of local bands, and Dan Rife, who was in the Illegitimate Sons Jackie O, and also played for Grass Crack. He plays for Grass Crack now, uh, folk band, and uh, we did that project. I love to. Um, if anybody, it, it's hard finding the time, 
and also, you know, everybody always has their own world that they live in and trying to get, every, especially during COVID times, no less, trying to get everybody to find a focused project to get together on. It's very difficult. You know, um, I have to ask this question because obviously, you know, you're an established musician here. Have you had any run-ins over the years with any kind of, uh, you know, Hall of Fame musicians or, you know, what you would call like, you know, like like superstars or that? I got well, I got to sing for uh, Shane McGowan's band one night. That was fun. Not really. Uh, I mean, basically, in that particular instance, he pulled a Shane, if you will. He missed his flight, and so the band was there, but Shane wasn't. And they played without him, and I got pulled up on the stage to sing a little bit with them, and that was a lot of fun. The only kind of notoriety in that regard, I mean, I've met some bands and played some shows with some, uh, you know, who became popular, you know, played with L7, played with Helmet. I, I saw Helmet. They, I, who they opened they, for? Bush? We brought them here in, like, 91, I think. I think it was either Bush or Alice in Chains I saw Helmet open for them. Yeah, they were great. And they're a heavy band, good good uh, kind of hard-edge band. Yeah, you know, funny, I was saying the only notoriety that I've gotten wasn't about meeting anybody famous. Is I got sued by the general counsel for the Assemblies of God Church for the United States. How'd so basically, how, how did that how did that come for, about? For the entire uh, uh, copyright infringement. I mean, it's nothing exciting. It's just kind of funny that I got sued by the entire united states church basically <laughs> we uh after brother and fear broke up after we got our european tour in 1999 i started a band based out of oklahoma city called assembly of god i i did it didn't even cross my mind that that name was copyrighted or whatever it was just a punk band you know i mean didn't think anything of it we put out a record on havoc records and we were based out of oklahoma city because i there was problems in tulsa long story short whatever i just decided i had some friends up there and we started a hardcore band Anyway, and we we had a record out, and uh, and we kind of were based out of EZDs, which was uh, and there was Music Dimensions right next to EZDs was a restaurant where a bass player worked, and right next door was a record store that we practice in called Music Dimensions. I believe it was Music Dimensions. Anyway, point being is our record was for sale there. Assemblies of God Church is based out of Oklahoma City. It just so happened that I guess they were having lunch at VZDs and walked over to the record store, saw our record, and realized that there's a band using the name that they had copyrighted. Wow. And we got, uh, I got a, I still have my summons. It's funny. Uh, I say, I was going to frame it. I haven't framed it yet. I still have my summons. I mean, this was, you know, 20 years ago or, yeah. And uh, they, we didn't end up, we, we refused to contest it. We knew we were going to lose I and mean, we, we had no leg to stand on. So basically, our record is banned. I have, I am a proud owner of a banned record. I still have a couple <laughs> copies if anybody wants one because it's, it's okay. It's a decent record. And we, we were breaking up anyway. The band was very short-lived. But yeah, so we didn't show up. We no longer were able to play under that name. And uh, it's, it's, it's just a funny story. So, <laughs> But, you know, I guess as far as my, my legacy goes, I never sold very many records, but at least I got sued by the church. So. Do, you, do you guys have any new records coming out anytime soon? Uh, the only thing that I'm planning, I mean, the, the Shame came out last year, the, the, the new record, Friendly. And I've been trying to write for the next one, which I don't know if we're going to do an EP or an LP. Right now, I don't have that many songs. I've got a couple that are good, um, a couple I need to rework. But I've stopped... Because uh, you're working, well, because you, really, you're, you're working on your new project. Well, I'm working on two projects. Yeah, I, I've got the. I was saying the hardcore band. I'm writing that record because I, I hear those songs in my head and I want to get those out. But yeah, I, I decided I wanted to start putting uh, a book together 
So I'm doing that. So let's let's talk about the book because if anybody who follows you on social media knows that you are quite the poet, I guess over the years people like me and some other people have said, "Hey, why don't you put this shit in a book?" And I guess <laughs> I'm very dismissive about. Such I, things. I guess you finally paid attention and you're so. So tell I us about the book. I finally got bored enough. <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate that. And really, I always just wrote for bands. All of all the poems and songs I've written are just songs. They're all songs to me. They're all always songs to me. I, I, I very rarely just wrote for writing. And with the and I guess that's one there's very few positive things about social media <laughs> other than you can promote your music. Is I started, you know, everyone's writing status updates about whatever the bullshit they're doing. And I just would start writing ones in poetry form because it would just come to me and it would be funny to me. And then I started to really think about them. And so uh, that all were just moments. You know what I mean? I would just be sitting in a park bench with a 40 down by Riverside. And I would these thoughts would just pop in my head. Like I would see a homeless guy struggling or something. Or thoughts would just pop in my head. And they're almost always in song form. And so I just started writing them out. And I was like, you know what? This doesn't have to be for music. I can just post it. Who gives a shit? Because it's not for anything. It's just that if anybody reads it and it gives them a chuckle or... It gets them to think about something that they're dealing with or help hopefully just add something to their life for, for five seconds. Fantastic, you know, that maybe you realize that you're not alone in feeling these dark thoughts, which a lot of my stuff is goes to dark places. And that's really what it was. And I was just like, I started to accumulate them in a file, and I realized, I'm like, holy shit, I've got a bunch of these. And some of them are decent, and a lot of them are very similar because I don't think I'm trying to write for anything and I looked at some of the old ones, and a lot of them are similar wording and similar subjects and stuff like that. I have a great idea. It just came to me. Do you know what you should call the title of your book? What is that? The United States Church of Christ versus Chad Malone. <laughs> I'm, I'm the, I'm the cover would be just the summons page. The summons. Uh, <laughs> that may have to be the next one. <laughs> I, I would like. I should try to write like a like a rhyme of the ancient mariner thing. You know, just a huge like twenty page poem about the the whole experience and there really wasn't much it's not a much of a story to tell but but it's funny and have that be it that would be pretty funny yeah i uh i never even thought about that <laughs> yeah i or just take and, or just take like um little like snippets from it and make them as prose passages on the back of the book like sure like completely cut completely stole our shit church of christ united states you know bunch of see you next tuesdays um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so what I – well, honestly, what I decided to do was I was like, I think I'm going to take, you know, your suggestion and other people's suggestion. I mean, and I don't even care. I, I started asking around about what does it take to self-publish, and I realized it was a lot simpler nowadays than, than I thought it would be. And I was like, well, shit, man. I'll, I could front a couple hundred bucks and get, you know, X amount of books pressed. I was like, but if I'm going to do it, I'm not going to worry about the money. I want it done my way. I want – you know, I want some hardcovers because I'm very tactile. You know, I'm old school in that regard. I don't want to read stuff on my phone. While I do read stuff on my phone, if I'm reading a comic book or a book or whatever, I, I want it in my hand. I want to feel the pages turn, you know, that I just like that dynamic. And so I want that. And so I was like, I started looking into it, realized how easy it was. And then I started to realize that I've got maybe enough to do, you know, 100, 120 pages, which, you know, for a poetry book, that's probably a hundred more than you need, but still. And what I decided to do was I was going to break it up into a couple of sections, mostly have the poetry that I've written for my page, for my uh, social media pages, and just 
see what I've got. And I've accumulated those, and I found a certain amount that I'm happy with. And I'm going to try to write probably about 10 more because I've got some ideas for some. And, uh, and then I'm going to have a section later in the book that will be more of like 30% will be song lyrics from ones from a variety of the records I've done. I've got like 31 records out. And granted, a lot of them are old punk lyrics, not very profound, and uh, not that I was trying to be, but some really worked in the context of the song. Others, like some of the Larkin ones, I think can work on their own as stories. And those are the ones I want to add in that. So where I, I, I feel like if, if the song lyrics work on their own, then I will probably put them in there, is, is basically the point. So like a lot of the Brother Inferior stuff and the old Hardcore Days stuff, I'm, I'm not sure I feel like they can. Because the intensity of the music is what added to the message, you know. And, uh, and so I'll probably throw a few of them in there that I think work. But yeah, that's basically the point, is, is take these uh, writings... Com- combination of the old records going back as far as I can to see which ones are worth the shit and then the the new poems and just have it out you know what I mean if I sell a couple great if I don't at least it's done and, and it's something that matters to me that I got to put out there and you know what it's it's gonna there's part of a legacy that I could at least hold on to and feel proud of you, what, know? you so. say that you 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 gravitate to writing what was it hardcore you said right now hardcore album uh, yeah, yeah, it'd probably just be an EP, and I probably won't even release it. It'll probably just be given for free online. One of the things I think you should do is, if it was good enough for Phil Linet, you should try to write a, uh, kind of like a hardcore opera, you know? <laughs> do, do another, do another Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds, you know? <laughs> just with, well, just with hardcore music. That would be interesting. Uh, I, I am, I am definitely a lover of themes, and can stick to a story, but um, this particular project, I think, might not be right for that. <laughs> Although, the idea of an opera, which would basically mean I'm not able to perform it because I am not going to try to sing that shit. Um, <laughs> no one, nobody wants to hear that. And uh, but that I do like the idea of of breaking that down, breaking down something and writing like a several piece storyline, but done in poem form, you know, or or song form in it, in its own way you know like rush did with 2112 where it's a it's it's essentially a 20 minute song but it's really five songs you know but they're all they're all pieced together to inform the story and the music expresses the emotion that's behind the lyrics which is that's very important to me that's the way i view music in general is that you know the lyrics are the story the music is the emotion I think it's fair to say, I mean, it is one of the most popular, if not the most popular album of all time, but Pink Floyd did that with Dark Side of the Moon. I mean, it was, Dark Side of the Moon, it's, yeah, it's yeah. One, it's like one long, beautiful symphony. But they, but those songs also work on their own. Yeah. I mean, the, those are sections, yeah. if you say. I think Queens, parts. I think Queensryche also did something very similar with... They did, uh, I think it was Empire, yeah, is that right? Yeah, I, I had kind of passed on them by that point. I loved the first two records, uh, well, the EP, the four-song EP, and I liked Warning a lot. Uh, but you know, I got in when they were starting to go in that direction. I was getting into harder, you know. I, by that time, I had found Cryptic Slaughter, and and you know, I was into faster and angrier. I didn't want this epic crap anymore, you know. So anyway, that's going to bring us to the end of this interview. All right. So I want to give you the chance plug your um, your bands and your social media real quick. Okay. Well, the shame, which is I guess in the simplest way, old school punk rock. 
you want to call it Soccer Hooligan Punk Rock, you can find us on Facebook mainly, which is facebook.com slash oi the shame, oi as an O-I. And there is an Instagram account, the, the shame of T-Town, but that's really just me personally. But um, we're probably going st- we, to, we're going to start an Instagram, we just haven't done it yet, as far as the band goes. Um, and Larkin is also on our Facebook page is uh, facebook.com slash Larkin Tulsa. There are several Larkins out there, and there's even a couple of the shames out there. So specifically, Oi the Shame and Larkin Tulsa is how you will find us. All right, Chad. Okay, I want to say this, and I ask this everybody. You've got right now an audience. What do you say to planet Earth right now? And just, you know, give, just go ahead and say exactly what you want to say. <laughs> My instinct tells me, sort your shit. But <laughs> but all honesty, what I think is sorely lacking now is kindness and nuance. People are looking for easy answers and everybody's anxious and scared. I don't think what we realize is everybody is. Everybody's got demons that they're struggling with, especially now. We're all isolated and we're all angry and we're all scared. And a little bit of kindness can go a long way and I think I would like to see a lot more of that just in everyday life and you know like anybody on the side of the street just saying a hello with a genuine kindness about you you know can go a long way because I know I've been going through some dark days and I have the luxury of writing to kind of get my demons out and music especially uh, and a lot of people don't, you know, and, and we fall into drinking, which I do a lot, you know, or, or other bad habits and self-destructive tendencies and just a little kindness and try to find joy where we can because uh, the world's seem feels like it's going to hell and I would just like to hopefully not make it worse. Well, thank you, Chad. This has been, I have to admit, this has been an absolute delight, pleasure for me. Thanks, man. Me too. I really appreciate, you know, I mean, we've been friends for a while and I... I uh, <laughs> I uh, appreciate your time, and uh, and thanks for considering having me on. I'm absolutely flattered and honored. We'll be uh, promoting The Shame Larkin uh, on our Twitter page coming up. And, uh, Chad, thank you so much for being part of this. Fantastic, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, that was awesome. And I want to thank Chad Malone for coming on the show. It's been a great time, and I urge all of you to seek out The Shame's records and in a perfect world and COVID-19 ever goes away, and live music happens again in some form or another, go and see The Shame perform. They're amazing. You won't, you won't regret it. A few housekeeping items before we close out episode 5. We want to thank our sponsor, Wild CBD, for their support. Be sure to check out their website, wildcbd.com, and use the code POD, P-O-D, for 30% off your next purchase. This holiday season, people love to give the gift of animals. Now... We have no problem adopting a cat or a dog, but please remember that an animal is a huge responsibility, and we recommend the family sit down and discuss such a huge commitment as it is only fair to the animal. Remember, adopt, do not shop. Trust me, a furry companion will be your best friend before you know it. Coming up in two weeks, we will have two very special guests who are former Jeopardy contestants, and they will tell their stories about what it was like to be on the set with the late, great Alex Trebek. You won't want to miss that episode. On behalf of the entire team at the Derek Duvall Show, we want to wish you a very happy and very safe Thanksgiving. We know times are incredibly trying right now, but if we keep digging in and do our part, we will get through this darkness together and come out stronger. Wear a mask, 
wash your hands, do not touch your face. See you again in two weeks, planet Earth. This has been a recording of the Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please follow us on social media to stay up to date on releases and important news. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show and use the hashtag I'm with DD.